Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. What's up? And on The Stack, we talk about a ton of books that have come out this week. Let's kick it off with one that I know at least one person in this podcast cried reading. Nightwing number 100 from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Bruno Redondo, Scott McDaniel, Rick Leonardi, Eddie Barrows, Javier Fernandez, and Mikhail Janine. This is, of course, a big anniversary issue for Nightwing. It's also bringing the Heartless, I keep getting this name wrong. Heartless, yeah. Heartless, Heartless. there you go. Arc to not its crest, but definitely moving it forward in a big way as Heartless breaks open Blackgate Prison and releases a bunch of prisoners. Nightwing goes about things in a very different way from how Batman or anybody else would, and then makes some big moves for Bloodhaven. Justin, since you did love this issue so much, not to call you out, but talk about it a little bit. Fully called out, how dare you? I mean, there's a scene. We've seen a lot of scenes when it comes to Batman talking about his issues or his life or whatever, right? Hundreds and hundreds over the tar time reading comics. This one, the scene between Batman and Nightwing, like I legit cried. I cried reading it. It's so well done. It is a beautiful, like father son moment. I mean, Nightwing, I feel like sort of has two fathers, Alfred and Bruce. And they're at it. This is very light spoiler. Just sit with the location. They it's it's Dick and Bruce standing in Alfred's grave. They've never been there together, and they have this so, it's hugely emotional Stop. scene. It's it too just much. gets you. It, it's too much. It'll make you cry right now thinking about it. Yeah. And on top of that, this issue has great action, huge stakes. There's some crossover elements here. There's a big new sort of reset for Dick Grayson's place in the DC universe, as well as like just a great rousing speech from this hero, this singular hero in the DC universe, despite the fact that he's part of a bat family, he still stands alone. This is an, a run that has been epic by Tom Taylor. This is, I think the standout issue and it just keeps getting better in this book. Yeah. I mean, you know how like uh, certain comics used to come with like 3d glasses, or whatever this needs to come with a crying bib or, or a Kleenex or something, because this <laughs> Is emotional. Uh, Pete, real quick question. I just don't want to lose uh, touch with this idea. A crying bib. Uh, could you walk me through that? Like that, that's a bib that collects your tears, so you don't. Yeah, that's waste right. Because them. you're going to do so much crying. This you need a bib, not just a you, normal. You don't want tears to get on your clothes. You need that's something right. to rub the butter on, right? Yeah, because you cry. <laughs> say butter. a lot. Yeah. Say a lobster bib, but there's a big sad face on it instead of a lobster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, this is just yeah. It gets you in the feels big time, and. Uh, the artist does such a great job of capturing that moment and making it even stronger. It, it, yeah, I mean, for, first of all, there's epic covers with this. This is such a great celebration issue of this character. And, you know, you, you just get kind of Batman apologizing to Nightwing, basically. It's just this unbelievable thing. Um, yeah, I... 
but also yeah, like the you know you get some Teen Titans action. There's so much other stuff in here. This is a jam packed hundred issue that is definitely worth it for sure. It's uh, it's a must pick up. And one of the best uses they throw some splash pages in the middle of the story that actually they're like pinups essentially, and they yep. work as elements of the story. I've never seen it done that way, and I thought it was so cool. Super tight art. Oh, wow. Nice job, what you, Salts. What do you have, a heart of stone? I don't yeah. know. I Can I just say, and this is not to contradict what you guys are saying oh at God. all, because I completely accept and understand this. I felt heartless while I was reading this book because I liked it. I like this Alex. It's good as always. I thought the conflict with Heartless was cool. Like I said earlier, the thing with Nightwing taking a very different tact with the prisoners and saying, hey, we don't have to beat each other up. Let's try something different here. Help. I thought was really smart. Very smart plotting throughout. But there were a couple of things that di- didn't quite hit as hard for me. How what? dare you? How, How dare you? you? One of them was the Nightwing calling Bruce dad moment. Because we've played that a bunch of times already. And, I, and that's the only reason. Like, I, I, it worked. It was paced out correctly through the art. But you. The th- there was that asshole. thing with, uh, with Bruce calling Alfred dad. And that was the thing that got me, like, choked up. And this felt like we've seen Robin call Batman dad, Batman call Robin's son. This is just another iteration of it. Uh, it's a very yeah, well done one. Just but- another iteration? But it oh sucked, and I hated it. No, it, it was fine. It was fine. It just, I legitimately read this moment. I was like, why am I not feeling this emotionally? And it's, I think it's just because I've seen this beat a couple of times before. And it works, but it didn't hit me as hard in the same way. Wow. I think you must have food poisoning, or uh, did you get hit in the head with a hammer recently? Yeah, a bunch <laughs> of times. Is that a big deal? That's it. Yeah, I yes. think that's why you don't feel, because otherwise you must have some sort of, yeah, can I talk uh, about the run. ending as well? Because I mean, that you're was the a other father, that didn't you work fucking for me. asshole. I mean, yeah, Jesus Christ. Okay, I it's fine. My son. What do you mean? Yeah, okay. I'm telling the truth. <laughs> we just the other day, and this is 100 percent true. I was standing by my butler's grave with my son, <laughs> and I was like, "By the way, you don't need to call me dad or anything." And he's like, "I never would." And we were like, "Next, <laughs> you want to wow. get cucumber sandwiches?" Uh, that's as emotional as you get is double thumbs up. That's double your thumbs up, bro. That's your that's your little I bro. love you. Hey, little double bro. Thumbs. Little bro. I need to visit your butler's grave as well. <laughs> I, I feel bad. Your, I have never I dropped flowers. I spit on your butler's grave. The other thing is at the end of the issue, it's revealed. He's asked the entire issue, do you want to be part of the Justice League? Not only that, we want you to lead the Justice League. And I was like, this is a great move. Awesome. And the reveal at the end is he's like, no, we got to do something bitter here. We got to think about like the entire planet. We need going to give them something that they've never seen before. And then his big move is to build another stupid freaking T-shaped tower. What do you mean the stupid? stupidest design of anything architecturally in the entire world in the front of Blood Haven. He was like, guess what? We got the Titans back together. And I was like, yeah, I know. They were in another book this week. Wow. How rubs. Wow. Wow. What a hater. Jeez. I, anyway, I can't I like this book. <laughs> I, I want to build a T building for my uh, Tyler T for Tyler corporate headquarters. <laughs> yeah, how are you going to do the J by the way? You can do that. That's going to be a little trickier. Yeah. It's, I it's mean, tough it's, to do scoops. Yeah. I imagine doing the P and P you got like nine P's in your name. 
<laughs> but definitely the one side of the building ends up being very heavy if you build a P building. Also, nobody wants to go inside of a P building. <laughs> Next up, Wasp number one from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Cassia Nye. This is Who not are at you? all not at all following up on the Ant-Man series that Al Ewing released a couple of months back. That was so awesome and jumped back through the history of Ant-Man. Instead, this is legitimately a Wasp series where you're teaming up Wasp with the newer version of the Wasp, Nadia, who I don't think we've seen in a little while, so it was very exciting to yeah. see her back Stepfather. fighting a new old enemy that does tie back to her history. Uh, to be clear, I still like this and really enjoyed it, but I was expecting like another mind bend trip through history and this was a little more straightforward well i do think we're it's perhaps going to take on some hoary outer limits alien elements uh because a lot of the stuff introduced here i was like oh this is sort of schlocky in a way but i trust al ewing to find the terrifying part um, going forward yeah, I mean, I, I thought this was a great start. I thought the Jarvis bit with the cocktail and all that kind of stuff uh, was just now, Jarvis, great. there's a butler you don't see a lot anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and let me ask you, like, like Alfred Jarvis, sort of in the same vein. Like, oh, you love how dare Alfred. you? Wait, wait, wait. You can't compare Alfred and Jarvis, you asshole. All right. Alfred Fine. is a father figure. Jarvis is like... He's there every once in a while, but he didn't like raise Tony. He wasn't like a huge wow. part of his life at all. I mean, Look he helped him butler. out a couple of times. You can't. Butler preferential treatment. You have to treat all butlers equal, Pete. Oh, that's the, agreed. But I'm just saying they're that, all like, our children. Oh my god, uh, Alfred is I, a I father mean, figure. Jarvis is like someone who's helpful. I mean, what do you think? Alfred's always showing up with food that nobody wants. Oh, oh, Jarvis, he's mixing a drink. He, he knows to like, here's your coats, put your stuff over here. He's just running. He's yeah, running the Alfred show. Alfred has the perfect thing that kind of makes Batman go, oh, cold soup. You're a genius. And then he's <laughs> able to solve the uh, the thing. You know, that's what the Riddler meant by sold coop. He was talking about cold <laughs> soup. I figured it out. You know, I'll always have a soft spot for Jarvis because uh, one of my absolute favorite storylines of all time is Under Siege, the Avengers storyline, where he got the shit beat out <laughs> in the middle of Avengers Mansion by the Masters of Evil. And that was gut-wrenching back in the day when I read that. So I, I've always liked that guy. Uh, I yeah, Because I, he got his ass kicked in front no, of No, because it's really emotionally involving when it happens, when you're like, oh, my God, this is uh, horrible. Because you expect it to happen, and it does happen. The rest of the Avengers who are trapped in the mansion with the Masters of Evil get broken. But watching it happen to Jarvis, who doesn't deserve any of this, is heartbreaking. Okay. Yeah. Um, you should have to hire a super butler if you're a superhero. Come on. Absolutely. Anyways, getting back to this comic, uh, I like the... Nope. Um, <laughs> The villain here, the kind of old-timey whirlwind villain, and then also the kind of new monster villain that's introduced. So uh, spooky and fun. I thought this was great. The perfect book for Halloween, which is coming up. Next up, Immortal Sergeant, number one from Image Comics, written by Joe Kelly, art by Ken Nimora. This is reteaming the team from I Kill Giants, Pete. Come on! A new book about a police sergeant who is not actually immortal, but he is called the Immortal Sergeant. Uh, the funny thing about this book, which I was surprised about, is it doesn't actually introduce the concept of the book in the first issue. I didn't realize what it was until I read the back of the issue. 
Uh, same experience. I was, I was like, like oh, because I was like, there's not a lot happening with this guy. He's just going around sort of like being himself. And then you get to the, the I guess it is like the back cover, basically, which lays out the premise. And I was like, oh, I guess we'll get to that. next time. <laughs> but that said, Pete, I Kill Giants is one of your favorite books of all time. What did you think about this reteaming of this writer artist team? Well, what I love is, uh, first off, the kind of like paneling and the art design is just so action focused and so kind of unique and cool. There is just uh, the storytelling in this is just such a next level. Um, Yeah, I mean, you kind of have this like dirty, hairy, old school kind of like detective dude Mm -hmm. who's kind of been around for too long and his curmudgeon So it's interesting to see what this is going to evolve into um but it uh i i's very unique and very uh, stylistic and um yeah i mean just the kind of the art is worth it uh to pick it up alone i mean i, I agree with that I, I think the character designs are great throughout here and since we don't actually know the premise unless you read the back cover of the book because it doesn't show up there, I think just on its own as a character sketch Joe Kelly knows how to write characters so yeah it is, like we're saying, this very interesting Judy Harris type. So even though I was like, I'm not sure what the point of this book is yet, I still enjoyed it while I read it. And I'm definitely on board for issue two. Yeah, I did too. In fact, I, the fact that I didn't read the premise until the end, I enjoyed because I was like, oh, that was just fun. It's a, you don't know what's happening, really. So it's a fun ride because it's a well-done comic. And then finally it's like, oh, I can look forward to next week, uh, next month, really being able to t- get my teeth into what's actually going to happen in this book. The new champion of Shazam, number four from DC Comics, written by Josie Campbell, art by Evan Doc Shaner. This is the final issue of this title before we're spinning into the Lazarus Planet event. It's wrapping up the story of Mary Marvel, who is the new Shazam. Uh, This series was great. I love this series. I was so happy with how this ended, too. There's some fun, surprising twists and turns in this last issue alone. And I want to see more. I don't want this to be the end of this title or this team. I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's a super type bananas art. Uh, It's such a kind of cool take on this. And uh, I really like the villain as well. Uh, You know, it's the old kind of uh, using people, uh, you know, using people in their phones. You know what I mean? Uh, They're just mindless zombies and you turn them into your uh, minions. You know what I mean? It's just uh, it's common sense, but fun. I mean, it was a great villain plan, great villain. But the thing that I thought was best about this is the narration the by Mary. Oh, oh my Gray Bun, sort of a bunicula reference. Yeah. Uh, if you know, if you know, you know out there. But what I I liked about this is it's the narration from Mary Marvel, and it's really a character defining issue. Like you could not read any other uh, part of this. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that. But it, it you could just pick this up and be like. I understand who Mary Marvel is. I understand why she's Shazam. It makes total sense to have her be doing that right now. And I'm very excited to to look forward to more. Yeah, you get to spend some time in her head, which I know you appreciate. So it's... Uh, uh, it's give me inside that skull, is what I say. <laughs> Speaking of getting inside skulls, let's turn it over to Punisher number nine from Marvel, written by hey! Jason Aaron, art by Jesus Saiz and Paul Azaceda. In this issue, we actually get inside a different skull, which is the Punisher wife, Maria. Uh, Maria. 
Maria Castle. Uh, we get inside her head through her narration of this issue. As the Punisher faces down Ares in the present day and back in time, we find out a lot more about this new twist and get some clarification on the Punisher's origin and how it was or was not impacted by the hand, as well as, and big spoiler here, but I'll just put it up in the front, throughout the issue, we're getting the build up that the entire Marvel Universe is about to come for Frank Castle. Pete, take it away. I mean, just, this is just, I mean, I'm having such a great time. I'm having such a great time. We're getting stuff that we already know about the Punisher, but heightened. I mean, this whole kind of thing about, like, uh, what we know happened in the park versus what we think happened in the park and them kind of saying that, like, uh, you know, we could have done something maybe, but the hand stayed out of it was such an interesting twist. Also, this revelation that, like, Maria loves the badass side of the Punisher and is, like, into it is such a kind of crazy reveal. Uh, I, I'm, I'm having a blast. And then the fact that, like, we get... You know, Moon Knight's coming for him. Wolverine's coming for him. Captain America's coming for him. Black. It's just unbelievable. I don't know how this is all going to go down. I'm very worried. Uh, But holy crap. And then why all of this is happening, you have like Punisher who's reaching godlike powers, taking down Ares. This is just insane. But it's also so small. We're learning such small, like little unique things in this crazy over the top story. The art is bananas. This is an unbelievable comic. I, I'm I'm having the time of my life here. The Punisher is bananas. I would say uh, I agree. I like this book a lot. I like this issue. But how can you root for the Punisher? Like, are you rooting for the Punisher in this book, Pete? How could you not? You know, I mean, he's he's fighting for uh, he's love. He's the bad guy. He's definitely he's, the bad guy. Literally, every hero you know is going to come for this guy. Well, it seems like you just want to sit him down and have a conversation. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, just no. talk it out. He's Let not me throw the conversation my prediction. He's yeah. a <laughs> In fact, I don't think he says much at all in this issue. If does Why he have any he? words besides "arg" a couple of times? Maybe. <laughs> uh, here's my prediction. Um, I think the Maria. Uh, narration and stuff uh, that she's been doing in this series has been fantastic. Shouts to Jason Aaron for really making her a character. My prediction is she, in this issue, she realized that she is sort of the origin of the Punisher and she's the only one that can stop him from being a maniac. So she will end up taking him down at the end of this arc. Oh, dude. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty fair prediction. The other thing that I wanted to mention is the back in time stuff that Pete touched on is we've seen the hand has been watching Frank Castle his entire life. And the impression has been that they are grooming him, that they are building him up to be the fist of the beast. What they pretty definitively say, and I think this is a very smart thing for Jason Aaron to put out there, is no, they did not do that. We are not retconning his origin. His origin is still his origin. They've just been watching him the entire time, and they're just adding on to it. And I think the easy thing to do would be exactly what they set up in this issue and seemingly do for a couple of pages, that the hand were the people who set up his family being killed in the park, only for the twist to be like, no, they backed off of it, and things happened exactly the way we know they happened. So I really liked how that was executed throughout the issue, and I think it's a really good thing to sort of 
end debate online, I think, if if you get what Mm. I'm saying, just in terms of fans potentially fighting for years down the road about this big change to the Punisher's origin. You mean end end all debate online? Yeah, no more debates online. We're done with that. Instead, right. we're going to – the conversationer is sitting down and we're going to talk <laughs> about things. Anyway, this is great. Like Pete is saying, Asus Saiz's art in particular is next-level next in this issue. Yeah. White Savior, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Eric Wynn and Scott Berman, art by Eric Wynn. This issue introduces a ne'er-do-well dude who ends up back in time in sort of a very Seven Samurai kind of story. It's very jokey. It's very cheeky throughout, as you can probably tell from the title. What do you guys think about this kickoff? Yeah, I thought this was fun. Yeah, cool. Keep going. I don't want to cut you off there. No, God, we can uh, say short comments sometimes. Okay, sure. Right, yeah, definitely. On to the next title, I guess. <laughs> All right, great. Yeah, I mean, I was a little like, holy shit, look at this name of this comic, but... Uh, I really liked how this started, like the kind of introduction of it. The main character is very cool. I'm very excited to spend more time with this main character. I think that the art is is very interesting, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to what's going to happen. I think they do a good job of kind of like setting up this premise and this kind of ridiculous white guy, and then we're going to kind of get to the bottom of what actually happened. Um, but yeah, I also like the grandfather guy who just loves his Oreos. You know what I mean? He, he wants a big bag. Double stuff. Yeah. Don't give him the little bag. You know what I mean? Like he, he's old. He, he wants the big bag. He deserves it. Once you've tried double stuff, you're going to go back to single stuff. I mean, well, like, yeah, I mean, sometimes, I mean, let's be real. Sometimes the double stuff is too much. You know what I mean? Like he, you're going back stuff. to single stuff. Have you ever tried the triple stuff? Because that's way oh. too much stuff. Yeah, that seems like way too much. That's they basically like just eating a thing of stuff. Crisco at that point. Like, just <laughs> dig in. Also, just the stuff. shape of it is a little strange. It's too much middle. You know? Too much stuff. It's like the, a whole marshmallow. Uh, go ahead, Justin. I was going to say, I thought this was fun and funny. Great action. Fun premise. I'm in. Lazarus Planet Assault on Krypton, number one from DC Comics, written by Nicole Maines, C.S. Picot, Frank Barbier, Leah Williams, art by Skylar Patridge, Scott Godlowski, Sammy Basri, and Marguerite Savage. The first issue of this, the Alpha issue, kicked off with a huge Lazarus volcano exploding all over the planet, making magic go totally haywire. This issue... Uh, Maybe I'm wrong because we've only read one of these one shots so far, but I had a better sense of what this event is trying to do, which was very surprising to me. And it seems Mm. like this is the equivalent of one of those preview books where like timeless over at Marvel where it's like, here's what's going to happen in the Marvel universe over the next year. And basically what this is doing is this is setting up for the Superman family in this issue, what is going to play out over the next year or so of stories through Power Girl, through Dreamer. Um, We got some John Kent action, I believe, as well as Superman, of course. Um, So we get a sense of a lot of these stories, and it gives new status quos, new powers, new directions for all these characters. Again, I was very surprised by this. This was not what I was expecting, but I'm into it. I like the idea of doing this thing long form, if that's what they're going for. And speaking of new powers, Powers. There's like a tripped out power girl in the backup story that's also very interesting and well done. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the power girl story um, in specific. I thought the art was really great by uh, Marguerite Savage. Uh, very cool. This book, there was no assault on Krypton, no. let me just say. And so that part I thought was confusing. 
Well, we're setting right. things up here. Take it easy with no. The, I know. agree. There's a whole preview thing about like the assault on Krypton is when this thing happened, and then there wasn't that story. There wasn't even anything even close to that. So I just felt like, and this is a one shot, so it's not like it's setting up something for issue two. It, this is like it. So that to me was such just like a weird way to do it. Uh, but I actually thought all these stories were interesting. The one with um, Superman. Uh, son of Kal-El, yep. where he's just sort of hanging out with a dude who's a casual criminal. I thought, I was like, what? what is this about? And it's like, to be continued. I was like, he just got into a weird sort of fight with a guy who steals stuff. I, I don't know. I'm like, what's there to follow up on here? I feel well, like it was a flirty relationship is what I got from it. And so I wondered if there's going to be some sort of love triangle thing going on with oh. John's boyfriend and this villain dude. And is he going to go with his journalist? That could be. Is he going to go with the villain? I guess we'll see. Uh, but I liked it. I, again, I was very pleasantly surprised throughout this, and now I'm way more curious to read the rest of these issues. Invincible Iron Man number well, two I, from Marvel. Oh yeah, go ahead, Pete. Oh yeah, I was going to say I, I didn't. I liked the Dreamer stuff, which was very interesting. Then the uh, Miss Graves and Lex Luthor stuff was also kind Mercy. of interesting. The different, excuse me, the different kind of like. Um, Time we spent with different characters was was cool. I like. Are you in a bar? To throw. No, I'm sorry. I was straight. You're so beer. excited about this comic book. You're just going to straight bar. Blah. Yeah, I'm just the Mercy Graves thing. I forgot about that. That was straight up turning her into the character from Superman three, right? And it freaked me Which, out a little bit. Yes, one hundred percent. One of the scariest moments of our lives. Yeah. Well, a lot happened in this issue. I like what they're 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 setting things up in an interesting way, and I feel like this could be a really cool event. It felt like an assault on Krypton in some ways. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Uh, I prefer a pepper on Krypton. An Invincible Iron Man number two from Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Juan Verduri. Last issue, we left off with Tony Stark seemingly drunk in a gutter after losing a sobriety in a bar. Did he actually do that? Did he not? Somebody is messing with his life, and in this issue, he teams up with Riri Williams to find out exactly what's going on while they fight the living laser. Uh, this book, like I said the first issue, I really feel like they're pushing Iron Man in some surprising new directions. This feels like a big story. How did you guys feel about it, and how well did it follow up on the first issue? Uh, I agree. This is a it's a refreshing change to Tony Stark. It feels like someone is actually getting to him. I feel like so many Iron Man stories, it's just like, oh, this is like a problem he will solve pretty quickly. Um, and this, I think he's clearly off his uh, mark here. He doesn't know exactly what's happening. The last two pages I thought were absolutely chilling. Uh, way to end the issue. Like, whew, that was that got me. And I, I think this story is exciting. Yeah, I th- I think the laser stuff was cool. I also uh, I love the Riri stuff. It's very kind of you know I I like what she brings to this team. I also like the way she interacts with Iron Man. Uh, there's a lot of talk about him being retired and old in a hammock here, and uh, I'm just wondering Jealous. when <laughs> uh, when there's going to be a kind of a pass of the kind of a torch here, and Riri's going to kind of take over. Maybe he's going to take more of a back seat. I'm not sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think they t- this uh, really does a good job of setting things up. Some fantastic art. I don't know. I think bad things are coming for Riri, frankly. We get the... Hey, you watch your mouth. Well, we get the continuation of the story that she now has the Mandarin's rings, and she says she can control them, which is a classic... Yeah, just be cool. I can control them. It's not nothing to worry about. Yeah, nothing to worry about. Wrong. 
Gonna get first off, too many rings. Ten rings, you're going to control ten rings. They're, you can't keep that many on your fingers. Yeah. Uh, I can barely control this one. Exactly. Whoa. Well, anyway, Chroma number three from Image Comics by Lorenzo Di Felici. In this issue, we're picking up at the cliffhanger of the last one as our main character with two different eyes is about to be killed by a crazy old man. Does she escape? <laughs> yes, she does. There's more comics, but, uh, you know, it's certainly up in the air. We get a big twist here at the end of the issue, as well as the breaking news for me. The next issue is the last issue, which is a huge Aww. bummer because this series is cool. I yeah. love this series as well. It's the art is so well done. The use of color naturally um, is beautiful. The story, th- this issue, I was like, oh, I don't quite know where the story is going. And so, to, to add for the last issue coming up, I I guess she's going to meet her f- father potentially. It seems like, but that feels a little bit out of out of nowhere. So I'm curious how all of the elements are going to come together. Super tight bananas. I just uh, think the art is such a cool, unique take. Love the different colored eyes and the effect it has on everything in this comic. Uh, yeah, I, it's just such a gorgeous book, such a creative book. So art led, very interesting. I'm, I'm hanging on every panel and page. I'm uh, scared to see this end, but I'm excited to see how this is going to wind up. Uh, listener, shout out in the comments when he says super tight bananas. Do you picture the bananas from a box of runts? Because that's what I think of. <laughs> really interesting. I picture a peeled banana, which is the opposite of a super tight banana. That would be a loose banana, if anything. So, yeah. Hmm. A, uh, an unpeeled banana in your hand? Why would you ever do that? I don't know. <laughs> you don't just eat down I'm not from quite the... sure. We're just talking about things we picture in our head, right? In our mind yeah. palaces. You <laughs> picture Pete nude holding an unpeeled banana? <laughs> oh, I didn't say stop. nude. Don't do that to but people. But you intuited correctly. The, the way you said it, said, Pete, when you hear yourself say that, <laughs> are you just eyes rolled back in your Zen state? Or like, what are you, <laughs> what are you picturing? When you're saying that nonsense, what are you picturing? I'm just I'm I'm picturing just unbelievable art that uh you know you can't contain in a banana. Mm. Weird. Even weirder okay. than I thought. That, yeah, that definitely threw me. The Vampire Slayer number 10 from Boob Studios, written by Sarah Galley, art by Hannah Templar. In this issue, we're Ooh. focusing in on Willow after she has destroyed Hungus, the spider lady who's been trying to eat Buffy the past couple of issues, and things go Horribly wrong. If you thought Dark Willow was bad in the series, this is maybe going even worse in a very big way. Um, This is a wild issue that I did not see coming, but I thought the art was phenomenal and it was dark and upsetting while uh, revealing a lot of stuff about the characters that we haven't known. Uh, Justin, it looks like you're bursting at the seams here. Yeah, I really like this issue, and what a turn about. Like, to to maybe maybe this is actually what this series is about, I thought was really cool by the end of the issue. And the way that um, we're riding with Willow and we get to hear uh, her define, like, all of the different people who have been in the book the whole time, I thought was a really cool story structure. Yeah, yeah, and the, the line, like, hey, get out of my head was fun. Yeah, I, I think this continues to kind of get better and better with each issue. I, I feel like this issue in particular really uh, picked up steam and had an amazing pace to it. It was a lot of fun. Batman One Bad Day, Bane, number one from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Howard Porter. 
Like the rest of these titles, this is focusing in on a villain in the Batman universe, somewhat presumably out of continuity. Here we're getting a far future Bane who has purged most venom from the world working with Batman. Of course, there's a little bit left and it ties back to Bane's origin. Um, This to me felt a little less like a one bad day issue and more like a pitch for a black label series that got condensed Mm. into one issue. And on that note, I liked it because I like Joshua Williamson. I like Howard Porter, but curious to see how it struck you guys. Well, this was a super Bane-sized issue. You get a ton of comic in here. There's a lot of uh, amazing stuff that happens. Also, amazing covers in this. Uh, But yeah, we kind of have Bane as a wrestler and then kind of dealing with the venom in the world and uh, the unlikely team up of teaming up with Batman there. So, um, yeah, I mean, the art here is super roided bananas. It's just fantastic in all the great ways that you want out of a Bane book. I think it does such a great job of highlighting Bane in in a cool way. I I thought this was just a, a fantastic issue. Super fight Bane Annas, I think it's just, you're leaving it on the vine, Pete, uh, quite literally. Uh, this was, I agree with you, Alex, this felt like something that lives on its own outside of the One Bad Day uh, series of books, uh, an Elseworlds but, title or something like that. Yeah, but, but and I that's mean, not, that's not a criticism. One Bad Days have been really great comics. This is a great comic. I mean, What was the bad day that Bane had here? Well, he thought Venom was gone, and it turns out it wasn't, and he's got to him up with his foe that he hates, but he's got to do it. I mean, by the end of it, he's sort of bummed out. <laughs> I, I would thinking. argue it's longer than a day, though. It definitely takes a couple of days, at the very least, if not weeks. Well, as long as there's one bad day featured, I think it's living sure, up to the exactly. name of the type. Yeah, of, the title. really getting into technicalities here. The uh, Yeah, this could be I, Bane as a wrestler, uh do a powerbomb esque. I could see yeah. Bane being sort of uh, someone that they fight. Uh, I think that could be cool. Um, and the the end. This is uh, spoilers. Is Batman actually there when Bane's talking to him? I don't think so. Because this is an, an a spoiler for the book. So if you are haven't read this yet, uh, turn away for a sec. But like Bane kills Batman, or, or the big monster Grudge kills Batman. Bane's there, and then Bane's talking to Batman later, but it wasn't clear to me that he was there or wasn't there. Yeah, it's up to the reader. Whatever you want him to decide. Wow. There you go. Huh. Wow. Let's turn to another post-apocalypse book starring superheroes. Namor the Submariner Conquered Shores, number four from Marvel, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Pascal Ferry. This is the second to last issue of this book as Namor faces down the original Human Torch to find out what exactly has been going on and who has been attacking different civilizations. Um, the real standout for me in this series is the art, but what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, the art is... Uh, it's. Really unbelievable in this book. Very cool. Uh, uh, very, very specific, stylistic very phrase you could use. To that's worth it for the art alone, I would that's say. That's what I was looking for. And uh, I know what you're looking for, and I don't want to give it to you. But also, uh, hell of a last G- page. Give me dim bananas, Pete. <laughs> hell of a last page. Hey, mi- uh, hey Mr. Tallyman, tally me bananas. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, Namor kind of loses his cool a little bit and, you know, spoilers, but maybe kills Johnny Storms. Uh, that wasn't Johnny Storm. That's Jim Hammond, the original Human Torch. But still, Who's a yes. robot. <laughs> oh, I really like the um, the invaders friendship that we get into here. We get to really see that on display. 
Namor being Namor, he can't resist having a temper tantrum when we all know that he um, is in the wrong here. So curious how, because I think the last issue, the next issue is also the last issue of this series. So curious to see where we go to close that up. And I talked about this in the live show, but Frankenstein being here, I'm like, what's what's the deal? What a weird choice uh, to be here. Someone who never hung around with any of these people. So it feels weird that he's hanging out. Art Brute, number two from Image Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martine Morazzo. This is following a radical art adventurer who is trying to track down an Andy Warhol's type character who may in fact be Andy Warhol as he is wrecking paintings and destroying the very fabric of the world. As always with this team, it's wild, it's weird. How'd you guys feel about the second issue? Uh, I agree. I, I think this is such a cool... Uh, interesting looking book the art is sucks you into this very creative cool world and uh yeah it's it's i i love the choices that they're making how weird it is how meta it is um i'm not sure everything that's having going on but i'm having a great time just like regular reality uh for us this (laughs) is if you like ice cream man this is like an extended ice cream man. It's definitely worth checking out. Uh, Maybe not as scary, though. Maybe. I don't know. There's some pretty terrifying things that happen here. Uh, but it's really cool. Uh, love the the characters. The art's great. Fantastic. Stargirl, The Lost Children, number three from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, art by Todd Nock. In this issue, Stargirl officially meets the villain or one of the villains she's facing down who has been kidnapping lost sidekicks and exiling them to this island that they are never allowed to leave from. We get some big reveals here of legacy characters, some of whom have existed previously and some who have not existed previously in continuity. Um, Like I said with the last issue, I really like what Jeff Johns is doing here. This is right in his wheelhouse in terms of weaving in and out of continuity and digging into what makes these characters tick here with sidekicks and why they exist in the first place. It's a good emotional hook. And the uh, Todd Knox design of the Baba Yaga-esque villainous character, I thought was very well done. Yeah. This is one of my favorite Jeff Johns books um, in a long time. Like, I think it's right in his wheelhouse talking about sidekicks. That's exactly what he said. It really, well, I'm echoing. Saying um, wheelhouse is in our wheelhouse. Oh, my God. The, uh, this really goes uh, into the the sidekick stuff and really brings it to a new place, I feel like. And the art is fantastic as well. Yeah, the art's super tight bananas. I'm just going to echo and echo and echo. But uh, I also really enjoy the uh, creepy ass villains here. And uh, I'm having a great job. Great time with this book. Deadpool number three from Marvel, written by Alyssa Wong, art by Martin Cucello. In this issue, Deadpool is recovering from the carnage symbiote that has been stuck inside his tummy. He is going on a cute date to the zoo. And meanwhile, Lady Deathstrike and a bunch of other folks, including Doc Ock and Harrower, a new villain, are all trying to track him down and kill him, of course. I think we've been enjoying this series so far, but how did you guys feel about issue three? Pete, have we been? Yes, we have. have. Yeah. Is a zoo a good date spot? Oh, yeah. What are you talking about? Like a first date? Yeah. Well, I don't know about a first date, but it's definitely a Wait, cool... Wait, why would it not be a good first date spot? I don't know. It's getting into a lot of issues like you're talking about. Like zoo, zoos are controversial. Sure. sure. If sure. You shouldn't take somebody who doesn't like zoos to a zoo date, but you also shouldn't take somebody... Or scared of animals. Yeah, or exactly. But I think in terms of like... 
you got it walking, right? So you have time to chat with each other. And Most if the conversation lags, if the conversation lags, you could be like, hey, look, there's a lion and talk about the lion. So it's a good conversation starter and continuer. What I like about are, this is we're getting advice are you, about wait, hold on, Alex. Hold on, no, uh, Alex, are you a big zoo dater? Uh, like, do I date zoos or do I take dates to do zoos? Do you take dates to zoos? You sounded like that was coming from experience. No, I was just kind of spitballing here, to be perfectly honest. But I, I love zoos. The Bronx Zoo here in New York, great zoo. Really good. But I think you probably don't want to go to the Bronx Zoo. That's, A, very remote for most people. And, B, that's a, that's a full-day zoo. You don't want to do that. You want to go to, like, the Central Park Zoo or something. That's an hour-long zoo. So you can go around, see all the penguins, see the snow leopards and everything. Well, I appreciate And then you're right in the middle. Hold on. You're right in the middle of Manhattan. <laughs> so you can be like, hey, if it's going well, you can be like, hey, you want to go over to the merry-go-round? That would, that would be fun. We can see the Owls of Wonderland statue. <laughs> we can get some ice cream. Sorry, how oh, old sorry. are you in this well, scenario? That's, that's what I'm saying. That's my point. That's my point exactly. Is we're taking dating advice for You're somebody who dated in the 80s. The last time you were <laughs> on a 80s? date. Yeah, you got married. You've been married for so long. The last time you were single was in the eighties. So, like back when zoos were the last date. The last date I went on was to go see Say Anything in theaters. Yeah, yeah. You paid when you went to (laughs) the zoo. It was like five cents. Right. Yes. All of this uh, time wise makes sense. What do you think about this Deadpool book, guys? Which is the best animal area to hook up in? Oh, my God. Oh, great. They're all good. You definitely want to go (laughs) for the whole good. Yeah. Hortiest one is the rhinos because you can make a joke about that and be like, boy, those guys are pretty horny. So am I. Is that what you say on dates? (laughs) 80s were a different time. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. That is fair. That's true. Bad fast. But yeah, I think there's a steak. You want to see another steak? You can see that as well. Wow. Not too much. Too much? Not enough. Justin's giving me the not enough. Keep going. No, please stop. First off, first off, definitely too much. Second off, if, as to be like, want to see another snake is like a wave. Like to be like, look, my sna- I have a snake. My dick is a snake. Don't whip it out on the, on the. Oh my god! All right, being in a public place. And, all right. Anyways, there's a lot to really. Well, the uh, animals are having sex there. So. <laughs> I don't know. This is a, I'm going to give you a hot dating tip. When you get to the zoo, when you get your tickets, you'd be like, which animals are having sex right now? Excuse I want to take my date right there. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me, zoologist. Which cage is animals having sex? Oh, are you on a date? Are you on a date? You want to? Oh, okay. You got to head right to the bear enclosure. This comic Deadpool. Uh, it's a. I think it's adorable date. It's fun. Uh, super creative. I think it's a kind of classic uh, Deadpool comic. There's. It feels like Deadpool. There's a lot of. Uh, uh, He's in it. Sweet moments, but also there's a lot of silliness and fun, uh, fantastic art. I think this really does a good job of capturing the humor of Deadpool. Agreed. The the carnage stuff is sort of the curve, the weird curveball. Yep. I'm curious what that's going to um, end up meaning for Deadpool. But the cute date feels like right. Great last on. page. Great last page. Great, yeah. great, great love page. Oh boy. Shirtless Bear Fighter 2, number six, from Image Comics, written by Jody LaHoop, art by Neil Vendrill. In this issue, we finally get Shirtless Bear Fighter coming back and joining the fight against Ursa Major. There's tons of bear puns, as usual, as well 
as big spoiler here, a multiversal and often very nude contingent of shirtless mm. bear fighters. As usual, every issue of this book is completely ridiculous and completely enjoyable. Well, that's the thing. I keep every time I'm like, okay, is this the issue where this is going to get old? And the answer so far is no. These continue to be a ton of fun. They're over the top and ridiculous, but in some really cool ways and very creative ways. We get some touching moments with shirtless bear fighter and his mom, which is uh, that mm. I did not see coming, but the art is fantastic. This world they've created is hilarious and ridiculous and over the top, but it's also super sweet and it's very interesting and continues to be interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm impressed with this book. To be concluded next issue. Will yeah. the bear fighter put a shirt on, perhaps to go sit down at a restaurant? I guess we'll see if he gets service. Fables number 157 from DC Comics, written by Bill Willingham, art by Mark Buckingham. In this issue, a bunch of things continue to happen. I don't know exactly what to say about Fables at this point, other than every issue is good, and the art is really good, and it presents more things about these characters we like. Super <laughs> tight bananas art, all caps. The 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 art in between all the caps. panels, the creativity that goes into the art in this book is next level. It's legendary. The story continues to be such a high level of storytelling. It's it's so great. I hate to just kind of because Fables has been this amazing book for so long. I, I'd hate to kind of undercut it just because it continues to be that level of not only amazing storytelling and creative art and fantastic paneling and paging. But, yeah, it's just this juggernaut that continues to roll down the comic uh, line here. The way that Bill Willingham uh, sort of thinks in Fable, I feel like, is it it makes the writing very different. Like the, the fables logic that is inherent to all these stories is really fun. And it, it keeps it fresh, even though we're still, we're with the same family. We're doing a lot of similar things to what we've seen in the previous 156 issues of this series, but it still, um, it still f feels new, feels fresh. And I like that some of the stuff that happens in the latter half of the book is setting up for some even more interesting stories coming down the line. Avengers Forever, number 13, from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Aaron Cooter. In this issue, Old Man Phoenix and the Daughters of Thor have joined the fight against the army of Mephistos that are attacking the Citadel at the center of the multiverse. By the end of the issue, we get the reveal of the big villain. This was teased in the last issue of the arc, which is Doom basically wants to take over the universe and make everything Doom. Of course he does. And... We have the big reveal of Avenger Prime at the end of the issue that is, without spoiling right. it, so obvious we should have seen it coming. I absolutely did not see it coming, but it's completely perfect. I, I, I want to hear what you guys think about the book, but I want to throw something out as well here mm. at the beginning. My big thought reading this issue, even though I love that this is comics, I felt like if they want a map for whatever the next big storyline is in the MCU after the current phases with all the Kang stuff, this is what they do straight up. Really? Wow. Yeah. It's a little, I, if, I would think it's a little early to go to full mashup zone, but maybe. Yeah. No, I'm saying this is like 10 years down the road. Like if they're looking for something past the multiverse saga, they want to lay yeah. stuff in. This is where you can go. Well, let me say, reading this, like, I believe in the power of creativity, the endlessness of creativity. 
But reading this, I'm, I'm worried Jason Aaron's going to run out of stories. I think he's chewing them all up. He's eating everybody's lunch. There's nothing left. <laughs> he's eating it. He's doing it all. Uh, because this really does so much Guy, all the time. He's got stories for days. Yeah. And maybe it's an, uh, an infinite resource. But uh, this was uh, – it's so fun. It's always been fun. Jason Aaron's been crushing Avengers sort of quietly for what? How many years now? Like five, six years it's so good, and this continues to be good. Still surprising us. Still great fights. Uh, I want more. Yeah, it's it's really a fantastic book and unbelievable art. It really is just this kind of like mashup turned up to 11 fun uh, that Jason Aaron does a great job of writing and creating and, and catering towards. And it is just a, it's just a real blast and uh fantastic kind of splash pages and um yeah yeah i think it's just really badass and and, and a ton of fun i'm having a great time and i'll just mention i've said this before but aaron cooter is the sort of artist that i will read literally anything he draws his hyper detailed art is so good and so specific absolutely love it perfect melding of writer and artist Old Dog, number three, from Image Comics by Declan Shalvey. In this issue, we're getting another done-in-one adventure, kind of involving our old dog, as he tracks down his old handler, I believe, um, for Well, oh, it was yeah. a sort of a rival who was trying to flip him, actually, um, in, in Russia. Yes. Uh, with his um, daughter. Yes. What did you guys think about this one? Well, I, this continues to be a lot of fun. It's also, I love the kind of like moodiness that the art creates, this kind of like almost black and white, but with little splashes of color in different areas to kind of highlight things. Uh, it's just, I love this. Uh, I love a little, uh, like an older curmudgeon-y kind of person uh, kind of go- going through stuff. So I'm having a great time with this book. He is to curmudgeon. I, what I, the, my favorite part about this issue was the, the way the flashes between time and the different um, versions of our main character that we saw here. And the surprising yeah. heartfelt undertone that we got here that I think is being shown to us, the reader, as well as the daughter character at the same time. So um, there's some cool uh, like relationship building happening. The Flash, number 791 from DC Comics, written by Jeremy Adams, art by Roger Cruz. After we talked about the last issue, and you guys seem kind of receptive to the idea of a one-minute war that allows the Flash characters to only be fighting this new race. Did we seem receptive? Well, we Justin seem- seemed a little receptive. I was okay. curious to check it out and see what we thought about the second issue of this as we delve into it further. Spoiler here, but as teased at the end of the last issue, sure, sure seems like Iris West is dead. Uh, died at the beginning of this. Maybe they'll be able to bring her back by the end. The flashes are notorious for time travel. But Justin, since you were a little bit more receptive, watchword of the review, what'd you think about this one? These folks just keep running fast. You know what I'm talking about, Alex? Mm -hmm. The only way they could be faster is if I was running while I was reading it, which I was because (laughs) I wanted to feel it. And I'll tell you what, they just got faster. Uh, the wow, anything else? Uh, no, I like this. I, I, I do like something. this. I generally like this. I wish this was faster. I like the idea of the one minute war, but right now, we certainly it's got taking everybody. too long. You're saying, well, there's a lot of time where they're hanging out and they're like, We're the flashes and we're making jokes, and I want this to 
sorry, this is legitimately not a pun. Like, I want to feel the speed. I want to feel the urgency of we have a one minute war. And instead, you have these aliens being like, well, plenty of time to take everybody down and take in five, at least five flashes on this planet. Also, let's get a lady who definitely looks like the Joker who laughs and call her Miss Murder and bring her out. There's a lot of stuff happening here that is not quick enough, even though I like the characterizations that are going on. So, well, I, sorry, Pete, real quick, but I on that point, like there is we were talking about this last time where it's like the flashes have to do so much like, hey, it's Max Mercury. Like, oh, hello, hug. It's like, I haven't seen you in so long. But like these people are always together, but they're always saying hi to each other <laughs> all the time. It's 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 a very flash thing. And I think that's fine. I agree with you. The design of Miss Murder. I was like, why is this in fashion to have? Spikes covering your eyes. I don't know. I, you can't I don't see know what this is. You DC, see that's why. But it doesn't make sense to keep doing it. Like I get it once. You, you're all in on it. It might as well keep keep going. All right. So here's the thing. Like I want a spawn countdown clock or something because it keeps saying one minute war and nothing about this is taking a minute. Like this is taking a long time and a lot longer than a minute. And I keep waiting to be like, is is the war started? Is the minute up? Are we reliving the same minute? Because it doesn't seem like any of that. They're just calling it one minute war because it's got flashes in it. But this is taking a lot longer in a minute. So I either want like a countdown clock or, or some kind of thing to give us when the minute starts or what, what's going on. But other than the calling it one minute war and this clearly being more than a minute, uh, they're doing a good job of building towards this war and kind of giving us the what's going on, who's on what side and that kind of stuff. And then Miss Murder Reveal is just kind of like a classic kind of DC kind of like, hey, uh, remember that Joker laughs? Yeah, <laughs> right? That was crazy. But she's got these dogs that she's just walking around with. Right. There. That's, that's intense. It's like that, but with dogs. I will say I do like the premise, and I don't mind that not a, that it's taking some time because I think the point is to everyone else it's one minute, but they're going to fight a whole war in that minute because they're very – yeah, but when does uh, the minute fast. start and when is the... It already started. Yeah. It doesn't seem it'll, like... I think it'll pay off at the end when everybody's like, only a minute passed. I can't believe all of this stuff happened oh, okay. and people died and lives changed and all of these things. But yeah, um, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. Dark Web X-Men number three from Marvel, written by Jerry Dukin, art by Rod Rice and Phil Dudes. In this issue, we're getting some big wrap-ups involving the Goblin Queen Madeline Pryor finally facing down with Jean Grey in a big way for her missing memories about Cable being a baby. Babel, if you will, in particular. Cable baby. Uh, oh. How did you guys feel about this one? I This is my favorite of the dark web stuff, I feel like. I really like this. I thought it had the emotional underpinnings that I think make a lot of sense. It wasn't too caught up with like a talking mailbox or whatever, uh, interrupting the action to chomp a little bit on something. But it got to the core of it. It's these this person trying to recapture something that she felt like she missed out on. Jean Grey has been sort of living her life, eating her lunch like Jason Aaron telling all the stories in the world. So this was uh, – uh, it had what I've been missing in some of the other dark web stuff. 
I, you know, I, as far as ha- having what I've been missing in my life is I didn't know there could be two, like a douchier version of Cyclops, uh, walking a dog, uh, walking a couple of dogs, but we got that. So, yeah, I mean, it was interesting to have this kind of like Maddie Jean Grey off and then kind of like, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting and, um, it's some amazing art. Um, and, uh, yeah, then there's some shots taken in New Jersey. So I don't know. Fine with that. Um, the stuff, there's like four pages at the top with Forge, like playing a flute for a while. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know how this relates to anything else. But, I uh, kind of love the stuff with Forge that's happening. Yeah. It's been in the beginning of every book where Forge is like, well, I'm off on my own adventure doing my own things. Yeah. I don't know. It's very funny. Like this event is very funny. And this issue gets to some really good emotional stuff. With Madeline Pryor and Jean Grey in particular, I was surprised to be emotionally affected by this in a way that I definitely wasn't about Nightwing. Uh, like, that completely missed me. But this got me in my butler feels, you Get know? out of here. What's so that? you were kind of, like, really <laughs> taken back by, the, like, oh, my God, they do uh, walk dogs and then uh, yep, take care of dogs. that was the emotional part and not okay, the part cool. about Maddie finally getting the memories of her child back. While you're visiting oh, your butler's okay. grave, you should visit your clone's grave as well, Alex. Make a make it, Dave. Don't forget to walk your they dog. Got, they got what was coming to them. It was a whole saga. <laughs> I don't want to get into it. Anyway, yeah. I Hate really Fairland, number three, from Image Comics, written by Scotty Young, yes. art by Brett Bean. In this issue, Gert and company are still trying to work their way out of hell and back to Fairyland. They haven't quite made it yet, but some big, gross gremlins-involved stuff happens here. Pete... Gertlands, or, or yeah, it's not quite Gatlin's. Gremlins, but yeah, it's Gatlin's, a sure. homage uh, to the Gremlins. Yeah, I mean the the art is just another level of super type bananas that you don't normally get to enjoy. This Fairyland world is so uh, fantastic, and uh, yeah, I love how adorable and violent this comic is, and uh, you know the fun kind of reveal. Uh, of you know what needs to be done versus maybe what's it's not uh, the right thing to do. So yeah, I'm having a blast with this, and um, Scotty Young is writing the heck out of it, and I'm enjoying uh, the madness that's ensuing. This is a hell of a creative uh, masterpiece. Fun, cool art, bright colors. That's what happens in this book. GCPD, The Blue Wall, number four from DC Comics, written by John Ridley, art by Stefano Raphael. We've been following a couple of new rookie beat cops in different aspects of the GCPD, as well as Renee Montoya, who is dealing with some trauma in her past involving Two-Face. In this issue, one of the rookies goes very dark. Yeah, Um, some real twists. I... I don't know. I feel very conflicted about read. this. It's this hard, hard to read. To read. It's, hard it's hard to read. read. I almost feel like it went too far by the end. I don't know that it did. I feel that's the conflicted part, but I kind of feel like it did. What do you guys think? It's it's tough. Well, because- I agree with oh, you. Like when, I, when I was reading – sorry, sorry. When I was reading this, I saw in the first page there's a trigger warning. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then reading it and I got to the end, I was like – Oh God, I feel like I'm a little triggered by that. It was like, it was very unsettling. So if you haven't read this yet, be prepared for an intense story. I mean, to say it went too far, it's hard to say that. It's clearly been building toward what happened here. Uh, So it doesn't feel arbitrary. It just feels like, it's just very upsetting. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real. I mean, they're diving in. They're not shying away from it. They're really kind of uh, looking at the idea of people and how they deal with the the kind of ups and downs of being a cop, the power that comes with it, the kind of uh, you know all the other cops and well and uh, how they kind of uh, uh, welcome new recruits, how they harass new recruits, all the kinds of stuff that kind of go into that. And yeah, they're making some bold, crazy choices that are very triggering and very rough to kind of uh, uh, watch and deal with. But I mean, that's kind of what the premise of the book is. So part of me is happy that they're kind of going for it. But man, it's fucked up. Well, I think this is the part that bothered me a little bit is I've really appreciated in the first three issues how they're taking relatively realistic look at what it would mean to be a police officer in Gotham's and it just happens to be set in Gotham City. Like it's exploring mm. this, it's exploring these stressors, all of this stuff with Batman and villains and everything is in the background. It's there, it's present. But they're just beat cops. Like they're just doing stuff. Yeah. And the end of this issue felt to me, even though these sorts of things, and I know we're dancing around spoilers here, but these sorts of things, of course, realistically happen. It felt like a huge jump into Gotham city territory with this character here at the end, what they do. And that was the thing that felt like it was a little far mm. to me. Ultimately it's how they execute it going forward. I'm going to keep reading this book, but that I guess gets to the core of my issue with it. I just want to quickly shout out the art. I thought it does a, a good job of getting the grit and the way they are super close up on the, our characters' faces, I thought. Um, it makes you feel that pressure that everyone's under in this. Sorry, issue. did you say it was super tight bananas on their face? Or? So I didn't use the word bananas. Oh, I, did okay. I say bananas? Am I saying bananas now? Oh, no, <laughs> Hulk number 11 from Marvel by Ryan Otley. In this issue, Hulk is on a planet of Hulks, and they play a game called Godball, which involves taking a planet and smashing stuff. This to me, and maybe it's just because it's Ryan Otley solo on this, felt like an issue of Invincible. That's the exact same comment I had. It feels how like Invincible. How dare you? How dare I? Not we like how not dare you? We you like this. Invincible. 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 Invincible is great. It's an unbelievable comic. But this is about the Hulk, not Invincible. I mean, uh, you don't know. Sure, the artist uh, did both books, but like, yeah, I Godball, a ton of fun. I mean, this was just a blast of a comic. It was really cool. Uh, I love to see kind of uh, Hulk in this kind of world competing in this kind of uh, contest. And they did a great setup uh, of a joke and then delivered of like, oh, you got to watch this guy. He, you know, and then of course he does it. So uh, just a, a ton of fun. Very art led, uh, which was nice to see with the Hulk and uh, very action forward. I loved it. I just lost so much money betting on Godball, so it sort of felt like oh, I can see why that would be. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Hexware number two from Image Comics, written by Tim Seeley, art by Scott Olavina. In this issue, they do a really nice job of laying out the premise that was, frankly, I think a little confusing, though interesting in the first issue, where one of the characters yeah. goes up to the main characters like, whoa, 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 you are the spirit of a girl who was killed, put in her robot maid, and now through the magic powers, you have to track down demons. And she's like... Got it. That is my, me. That is me. Thank you. And I read that. I was like, oh, thank you for laying it out. Now I can actually get into it and read this book. And yeah. I 
I liked the first issue, but had a hard time holding on to it. Had a much better time reading this issue, frankly, because of that layout of the premise. Yeah, I wish someone would do that for my life so I could really kind of straighten things out and get it more streamlined moving uh, forward. You don't, you don't want to go down that road. I can do that <laughs> bit if you want, Pete, but I don't think you're going to like what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. But I agree. This really felt like it found its uh, its pace. You know, it it does a, uh, such a good job of like setting up action and has amazing art. And uh, yeah, I really felt like it really kind of uh, uh, found its footing and was just uh, had a cool tone to it. Amazing last page. I can't wait for more. Yeah, I agree. I really like the art by Scott Olavina. Um, Tim Seeley uh, always brings it. I feel like. Uh, this could have a long run on it. I feel like it's a world that they could really, really see a lot in. And this is not something that you necessarily need to consider when you're doing a book, but this is a eminently cosplayer friendly main character. Like this is the sort of thing. Yeah. 100%. I think you could see people cosplaying at conventions. So yeah, good stuff. The house of slaughter. Number 11 from boob Studios, written by Tate Bromble art yes. by Antonio Faso. This is kicking off a new arc that is catching up with one of our characters from the first arc who is leading a bunch of kids through the forest and trying to keep them away from monsters. Guess what? Doesn't really work. Um, mm. I know. Crazy uh, kids. I think both of you guys were saying. Well, at least Justin, you were saying you like this more than the main book. How are you feeling about this new arc? Uh, yeah, especially the first arc on the House of Slaughter, I thought was really good. Now I feel like I've gotten more into um, something's killing the children in the last arc. So oh, you there's pretty sides cool. there. I'm just uh, I just love all comics really. Um, but this is uh, this is a good book. It, it's very much tangential. It's in the same world, but we don't see a lot of crossover between uh, themes, ideas, uh, look, feel between this and something's killing the children. And the fact that we have two equally good books in this world is is a good thing. I agree. It is impressive to have two uh, kind of great books underneath the same umbrella. I love this art. It is so unique and so cool. It does such a great job of showing innocence, but also, uh, you know, creepiness and horror and, and kind of intensity. Uh, it's impressive that it can play both sides and sometimes at the same time, which is really impressive. I love the story. I love all the action. I love how we're getting to know more and more uh, corners of this world and exploring it. I I'm having such a great time with uh, all these books under this kind of slaughter umbrella. Uh, yeah, Slaughterhouse Rules, Brian. Love Sergeant, love Sergeant under, Slaughter. Yeah, I love being under a slaughter umbrella. Uh <laughs> Alien number five from Marvel, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Julius Ota. This is, I think, wrapping up this arc, maybe, where a bunch of androids were sent to a planet that, of course, is taken over by aliens. It goes predictably wrong. Uh, what do you guys think about this one? This continues to be so badass and intense. I uh, I think I love how actiony it is and how much it goes down. Uh, love the art. Uh, uh, but man, uh, just such a, uh, leaves in such a cool place. Uh, I think they, the, Philip Kennedy Johnson continues to destroy on this book and is just, uh, I'm so impressed with this because it's like, we're getting great alien content, great predator content right now that could easily just be so play, uh, played out and just phoning it in and kind of just like, cashing in on the kind of like, okay, you know what these things are and just staying in that wheelhouse. They're doing such a good job of like pushing things, but also keeping it in the same world. Uh, super impressive. 
Uh, Phil K. Johnson's a great writer, and I feel like, uh, sorry, and I feel like this, with each arc, he's slowly stepping a little bit further away from the base alien storyline. I feel like the first arc was very much In a good way. In a good way, yeah. Right in line with, like, what you'd expect from an alien movie. Still really interesting and different, but... it has all the elements and now we're slowly stepping out into more interesting territory. So that I think is a really cool way of going about it. Last but not least, what's the furthest place from here? Number 10 from image comics written by Matthew Rosenberg art by Tyler boss. And this issue, we're catching up with the pregnant character who left in the first issue, I believe finding out what's been going on with her. And there's some big revelations about the world that we're living in uh, through this comic. In particular, they show off a map of the entire world. I love that. So awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. Every issue of this book rocks. It's great. Each issue feels, I mean, super tight bananas are. Great. I guess we've run out of steam. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, go Pete. You keep saying like you're going to interrupt me, so. Uh, all right, so yeah, it, it just <laughs> continues to pick up steam, and we get more and more information as we're kind of uh, going here. Super impressed with the storytelling, the art. Uh, just kind of blown away by this book, and continue to be blown away. It's such an interesting story. Uh, I love this pace. It's so creepy and weird, but uh, so great at the same time as well. I feel like what they've done with this book is with the writing and art, they've slowly stepped us out into this weird world where now it's just humming, though. It's all all the pistons are firing. And so we get to just meet all these interesting people. And, and we've established that the fact that we get the map in this issue, I thought was so cool because it feels like we've been in this world enough where we know the places, we know the different factions. It's really cool to really be in this world now at issue 10. Great stuff. And if you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram and TikTok, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. And I'll see you at the zoo. I'll be making out in the lizard cage. (laughs) I'll be there.
Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.